discipleship. And uh, we're going to continue in that theme this morning. And today we're specifically going to talk about um, one of your favorite topics. We're going to talk about change. Specifically, we're going to talk about discipleship and change. Um, you know, we, we started this a few weeks ago, and I gave a really strong challenge to, to you men. And I believe that this is happening in various forms and fashions all over. Uh, I had never heard of the, um, I had never heard of the courageous. There's, I guess, a movie and stuff coming out. And after I did that first message, um, Brian McNulty, he's like, "Are you reading the courageous stuff?" You know, and I said, "No, I haven't heard of the courageous stuff." And he said, "It's just what you're talking about," you know. And I said, "Wow, well, that's cool." Um, and so it's not about what label or, or any of that, but, but I, I believe this, because I believe God is bringing correction to his body, and I believe that he is. And, and, and we see this, we can't, remember, we can't compartmentalize and we can't isolate things. So we can't say what's happening in the White House it has no relationship to what's happening in the church house. And we can't say what's happening on uh, Wall Street has no cause and effect or has anything to do with what's happening on Main Street. Um, it's all related. Uh, it, it really is. We're not spiritual when we're in church and, and unspiritual or secular or however you want to term it when we're not in church. Either we are in Christ or we are not in Christ. Either we are Christian or we are not Christian. You can have degrees and forms and fashions, and if you want to do that, that's fine. If you can create as many shades of gray as you want to, but the reality is there are some real black and white things that, that we need to recognize and we need to deal with. And so the reality of who we are as the church and the reality of who we are in Christ really does have an impact on everything, whether we realize it or not. The problem is, and you guys have all heard the, you know, the old analogy of the, the frog in the kettle, right? And you put a frog in a pot of, of, uh, of room temperature water and you just turn the fire on real low and over time the frog will boil and he won't even know he's boiled. Well, that's really kind of the way culture works. I really believe that. Uh, we just see things, you know, we have big happenings or a major disaster or finally the final straw breaks the camel's back. It's like, oh, everybody, look, the camel's back is broken. Well, what you didn't notice was all the straws that were put there that led to the breaking of the camel's back. See, what we're not noticing is that the heat's been turned up and, and now we're reaching the boiling point and we're starting to feel the heat and we wonder what's going on. And, and these things happen over time. And so the church really, if we're not... Vigilant, and this is why the Bible says to be vigilant, to be watchful. If we're not watchful, if we're not vigilant, if we're not discerning of these things, we don't really recognize what's happening around us. And then we start pointing fingers and we say, oh, those dirty sinners out in the world, man, look at how they're behaving. Well, they're just behaving like who they are. They're sinners. They're lost. What we really should be doing is not pointing at the world. We should be looking at ourselves Wondering how we have allowed that to permeate and, and, and come inside the church and affect the church instead of the opposite happening. And so I believe God in His grace and in His mercy is dealing with His church, dealing with His people. 
And, and that's not a bad thing, that's really a good thing. Say, but it feels painful. Well, it may be, but, but the end is good. So the Bible says, the Scripture says, discipline, it's painful for a moment, it's painful for a time, it's unpleasant. But the point of discipline, what discipline tells us is what? That God loves us. When a father disciplines his child, what it tells that child is, I love you. Now remember, I didn't say that you beat the child or that you're cruel to the child. I'm saying that you discipline. Don't confuse discipline with those things. God's not trying to kill us. God's not trying to be cruel to us. God is disciplining us. Why? Because we're his children. And so this call is going out. And men, you're called to step up and take your proper place. And so in talking about discipleship, remember, we've got, it, it, it's got to start somewhere. And it can't just start here. And it can't start just in the church building. It's got to start in the home, right? Amen. I mean, if fathers don't take their place, we live in a society today where over 33% of all children born are born into fatherless homes. That is an amazing statistic if you will just stop and think about it for a moment. And the point of that is not to, is not to point a picture or a finger of blame at a child who's fatherless, but it's really to say there's something broken about our society where men can so easily walk away from their responsibility. Now, I know this is an unpleasant subject, but it's a necessary subject. Amen. Or the same thing for a mother. It doesn't just have to be men, right? But, but now remember, God established an authority. He established headship. And guys, you are called the head of your home. Men are to take that place. And if men fail to take that place, then there's something broken. And, and if the church isn't going to address the brokenness, then who's going to do it? The world's not going to. The world doesn't have a problem with it. It's our place because we are the keepers of the truth. We are the vessels in which God has poured His Spirit into. We are the ones that have been entrusted with this gospel message. So we have to speak to the brokenness. We have to. Pleasant or unpleasant, we have to speak to the brokenness. And so we talk a lot about, you know, when we say, uh, wives submit to your own husbands or husband loves you. We talk a lot about the what? Children obey your parents. But, but why? Why are we to do what we are to do? Why, wife, beyond the scripture says so, why should you, why do you submit to your husband? Well, I'll tell you why you will. You will if he will love you the way Christ loves the church. You'll, you'll do it out of love. Say, yeah, but my husband doesn't love me like that. Well, there's a problem then in there. There's brokenness. What are we going to do about the brokenness? Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Well, you know, I just don't love my wife that way. Well, there's the problem. There's some brokenness. Let's deal with the brokenness. Let's speak to it. Why should you, husband? Because that's the way Christ loved you. John 13, 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another the way I have loved you, so you should love one another, Jesus said to his disciples. Why should we love one another? Because Christ loves us. Why should I love you? 
because Christ has loved me first. And I'm commanded to love you, and you're commanded to love me, whether you like it or not, (laughs) because Christ has loved us. Amen? So we're going to talk about change. Have you ever noticed that people, regardless of age or their station in life, resist change? How many of you would be honest and say, I resist change? I do. I mean, I've got, like, uh, I've got this pair of shoes at home. I love them. My wife got them for me at a garage sale. And they're, they're, I, just, they're, I love these shoes so much. I won't wear them out anywhere because the, the, soles of, the soles of them are almost worn all the way through. They're not house shoes, but I've made them house shoes because I just I love them. They're so comfortable. So I just wear them in and around the house. And so every once in a while, you know, Andrew will be like, why don't you get rid of those shoes? I couldn't get rid of these shoes. Man, these are awesome shoes. I love these shoes. They're so comfortable. But you can go get another pair, oh, but I'll never find a pair like that. How do I know? I've never looked, really. That's, a, that's a, an imagination I have. That's something I've convinced myself of. It's just, it's just in my mind, and I'm like, leave me alone. I like my shoes. Just leave me alone. Or I like that big old T-shirt that makes me look like I'm 100 pounds heavier than I really am. It's comfortable. It's, I like it. I mean, whether we realize it to some degree or, 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 or other, you know, some greater, some lesser, we resist change. We really do. And so people resist change for the same reason, guys, you ever done this? For the same reason they don't want to get up out of their easy chair and go get the drink they left on the counter. So you sit down in your easy chair. And I would say, getting ready to watch Texas versus Rice, but lo and behold, the Longhorn Network wouldn't put it out anywhere. So, but Tim, Tim, he, 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 he got me to watch Oregon and LSU. One of my teams won. Oregon didn't win, but, but praise God, the Longhorns won, right? So here you are, guys, and you're getting ready to sit down, and you sit in your big easy chair, and you got your drink all fixed up, ready to go, and you're just ready to watch the game, and you, you sink down in that easy chair, and you realize you left your drink on the counter. What do you do? Honey, will you bring my drink to me? It's there on the counter. I don't want to get up because I just sat down and I got comfortable. Why do we resist change? The reality is for a lot of us because we just sat down and we got comfortable. And it can apply to any area of our life. Now I think that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason people resist change. But, but let's think a little deeper than that, Okay. Let's think a little deeper than just, I sat down and got comfortable. Now, if you remember last week, at the end of the message, I left you with two statements. One was this, unity is not everyone agreeing together, it's everyone together in spite of not agreeing. So as we talk about these things, and we talk about discipleship, we talk about change, we we need to keep in mind what we're called to. We're called to unity, we're called to community, right? We're called to love one another the way Christ has loved the church. And another statement I left you with, this was actually the last statement of last week's lesson. It was, discipleship is submitting to the unity of the Spirit in peace, not out of fear, but in love. 
So you shouldn't submit to the Spirit of God or to the will of God because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. You should submit to the will of God, to the Spirit of God, because you love God. And you love God because you understand that He loved you first. And from the love that He poured into you, you are able to turn that love back to Him. And you're also able to turn that love to one another. And so we don't We don't submit to the unity of the Spirit in peace out of fear, but in love. But when we talk about change, we resist change because of fear. Fear is really the reason we resist change. Now, guys, the reason you don't want to get up out of your easy chair is because you're afraid, and that's the truth. What are you afraid of? You're afraid that if you get up, that nice spot that conformed to your behind isn't going to be there when you get back. You don't want to risk not finding that perfect spot again. You're afraid you're going to lose your spot. You don't want to go through the hassle and the trouble of trying to get it just right again. So it's just easier for your wife to bring it to you. And then when you're not afraid anymore, when you don't need that spot anymore, when you don't need that thing anymore, then you don't mind getting up and going on to the next thing, because you're not afraid, you're not worried about it anymore. Think about all the things that we're fearful of, that we are holding on to simply out of fear, because we have convinced ourselves that we can't get rid of those things, we can't let go of those things. They're the old pair of shoes I won't wear anywhere else, but I'm going to keep them because I've convinced myself I'll never find another like them. They really don't do me any good. I really don't need them in the house. Where I really need them, I can't even wear them. I'm not throwing my shoes away, though. So y'all can pray for me about that, okay? I'm not ready to change that much. See, the real reason you don't want to get up out of your chairs is fear. Fear that that we're not going to find that comforting spot for our behind. See, resistance to change is is really all about what's behind you. It really is. So that's the issue with resistance to change. It has to do with what is behind. So for the church, in its easy chair, change creates fear that we will forget what is behind us. So we come to idolize the spot in the chair And we forget to understand that the chair was created for the body, not the body for the chair. Chairs and comfortable spots come and go, but his body is eternal. We want to hang on to our chairs and our comfortable spots. And in the process... We're losing sight of what's most important. Discipleship is all about change. God will bring change. Do you understand that? He will. Do you realize how much change God has brought just for us to be here today? Now, there are some things that are unchanging, right? God doesn't change. The truth doesn't change. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. 
So those are things that we can settle. And we should rest in that and trust in that. But we need to understand that God will bring change. And and if we're submitted to God, we can joyfully embrace the change that He brings to us. And if we know God's complete and perfect love for us, then we shouldn't fear change, right? We shouldn't. Why do people hang on to habits? Why do people hang on to addictions? Why do people hang on to things that they convince are really not bad for them and they become blind to what those things are robbing them of? They do that out of fear. Why do people want to hang on to control? Remember, my theory is we're all control freaks. Some of us know it, some of us don't. But but in our fallen state, fallen humanity is all about control. Why didn't Adam believe God? Because he believed his own desire more than he believed God's. So, well, the devil lied to him. Yeah, but the devil could not make him eat it. Just like the devil can't make you do anything. You realize that. We want to run around and find a devil behind every bush and point the blame at the, at the devil. It is not the devil's fault. If you partake, if you rebel, if you refuse to submit to God, if you persist in living life and having your own way and remaining in control, it's no one's fault but your own. You can wear the Flip Wilson t-shirt all day long. I used to have one. It said, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. I'm going to tell you what, when you became a child of God, the power of the enemy was broken over your life. The only power the enemy has over you is to the degree that your mind is not renewed in Christ. And if your mind is not renewed to the truth, that's because you have not submitted yourself to that renewing process. Now, here's a, here's a scripture I want you to... This is a scripture that confuses a lot of people. It's Philippians 2, 12, and 13. It's the scripture that says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Ephesians 2.12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do we have a responsibility? Yes. But who is working in us? God is working in us, both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Another scripture I was going to read to you today is John 15. Caleb read it during communion. He read all the scriptures out of, out of John's gospel that, that, where Jesus is talking about discipleship. And in John 15, 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. 
We will be his disciples. How do we recognize disciples? Jesus says here, because you bear fruit. Jesus said it in another way. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples for the love that you have for one another. What's the first fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5.22? Love. And if you, if you look at all nine of those fruits of the Spirit, I would challenge you to see if you could have really any of those fruits in reality operating in your life if you don't have love. I mean, how much peace can you have if you don't have love? How much patience can you have if you don't have love? Now, that's not to say that we never get tried. I know it's hard for you guys to believe, but I do get impatient sometimes. That was a joke. But... <laughs> no, so it's not to say that those things don't ever happen. They do, right? But the question is, when we find ourselves in those situations where we become impatient, where we're really not as kind as we should be, where we're not having the joy, we're, I'm just not feeling the joy today, you know? Have you ever been there? I ain't feeling the joy. I'm not feeling the love. I'm not feeling too much right now. I'm just kind of agitated. I mean, we all get there, right? But the question is, do we recognize that? What do we do with that? Do we just justify it and continue living in it? Or do we allow the Spirit of God on the inside of us to bring correction, to bring discipline? To lead us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake? Do we submit to the will of God, to the Spirit of God living in us, and allow God to bring that correction? And allow God to facilitate, to, to bring about the renewing of our mind? Do we submit ourselves to the Word of God? I mean, I know we want an easy way out, right? I mean, if you could just put the Bible under your pillow at night and sleep on top of it, and it would just by osmosis get into your mind, that would be great, but it doesn't work that way, does it? God gave you gates in which the Word of God is to get in and to get out. And your eye gate, you got two gates called your eyes. You got another two gates called your ears, in which the Word of God is to... To get inside of you so that the Spirit of God can, can begin to bring illumination and revelation and transformation as you allow that word to have entrance. So we need to be careful not to idolize what is behind at the expense of what is ahead. Remember, we're talking about discipleship and change. As disciples, we are called to change. We are. Whether we like it or not, we are. The church, whether she likes it or not, is called to change. We all have our comfy chairs and our old shoes that we want to hang on to, but God may be saying, you know what? It's time to let go of that because I've got something I want to move you into. What's constant in this process of change, what's constant all along the way is the truth of who He is. The truth of His Word. The truth of His character. The truth of His person and His nature. That does not change. 
But I think we would all agree that electricity is good, right? How many of you like your automobiles? Do you know there was a time when, I mean, the world just thought automobiles were just of the devil? That those things were of the devil? That did not, that technology didn't come from God? And all people could see is the, the horror and the terrible things that the technology that brought the automobile would, would bring. It's going to change the world. All the buggy whip manufacturers are going to be put out of business. What about all the poor horses? What are they going to do? They won't have people to carry any longer. How many of you are old enough to remember before there was an internet? I remember when Al Gore invented the internet. And WWW, I can't tell you how many countless articles there were explaining how that was the mark of the beast. And this is the end. And don't have anything to do with the internet because it is of the Antichrist. It is of the devil. How many of you use the internet today? How many of you are thankful for the internet today? I am. Saves me a lot of time. (laughs) I've got a set of Encyclopedia Britannica's sitting in my office at home. My uncle and my aunt gave them to me. They paid a lot of money for those encyclopedias. Do you know how often I use those encyclopedias? I can't remember the last time I broke one of those babies open. And when I did, I do remember this. I had to, I had to blow dust out of my nose for, for about five minutes because it, it, I don't need the Encyclopedia Britannica sitting there. Any, now, I liked it. I haven't gotten rid of it. I haven't thrown it away, okay? Because I'm thinking, you know, one day maybe books won't exist and I'll have this set of books and then, you know, hey, I got something you don't have. <laughs> and, and someday, somebody's going to stand up and say, hey, do you guys remember when there were books? <laughs> and somebody will raise their hand, but a bunch of people won't raise their hand. Books, what are those? You ever know, have you noticed vinyls making a return? Yeah, you know, there was a time when vinyl was all you had. Then we went from vinyl to 8-tracks. How many of you guys remember 8-tracks? I mean, how many 8-tracks can you carry in your car? (laughs) Not very many. (laughs) And then we went from 8-tracks to cassette tapes, the great conspiracy. I knew they were going to do that. They want us to all buy 8-tracks. Now they're going to cassettes, and now we're going to have to change equipment, change. Then they went from cassettes to CDs. Now people are going back to vinyl. Or now some people don't have anything except a what? MP3. Some of you don't even know what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are kids today that have never seen even a compact disc. I read an article, um, the the guy ZZ Top. How many of you know who ZZ Top is? Okay. Um. I can't remember which one of the guys. He walked out of a music store in Los Angeles, and there were these two, these two kids sitting there listening to their MP3 players. I read this in Texas Monthly. And he, they had just released a new album, and he said, hey, you guys, 
you guys picked up my new CD? And they looked up at him and they said, what's a CD? <laughs> and he realized there are kids now who don't even know what a CD is because all their music is, is downloaded from the computer. They, they, don't, they don't know what any of that is. You realize change has come, right? And change is coming. And we cannot be people that will resist change. Now, I'm not talking about all of that. All of that was to make a point that if we're disciples, God wants to change us. God wants to change you from being angry to being loving. From being stressed and you're giving yourself ulcers to having a peace that passes understanding. God wants to take you from fear to love and joy and peace. That's, that's change. God wants to take you from a place of bitterness and unforgiveness to where you can actually pray for your enemies Amen. and bless those who curse you and spitefully use you. Growth does not happen without change. And growth is necessary for life. How many of you guys like puppies? Is that all? What's wrong with you people? <laughs> now, I have three dogs in my backyard. And they, those three dogs do have something in common. At one time, they were all puppies. Now, one dog in particular, his name is Rolo. I'm not sure, I don't remember who gave him that name. Caleb did. But I do remember who wanted to keep Rolo. It was my child that pointed to my son. And Rolo was a, just the cutest. Daddy, I promise I'll play with him and take care of him and feed him every day. Please, please, can we keep him? Well, it's old sucker dad. Guess what? I got three dogs in my backyard now. And when I walk out there, bless Darwin, he gave me a tree the other day. I went back there to plant that tree. And all I could find all around that area in my backyard, you know what it is? Yeah, well, the, the pooper scooper doesn't come to my house. So fertilizer laying everywhere back there. Just everywhere, covering the ground, fertilizer. Why? Because I have three dogs. They're not puppies anymore, though. That's the problem. Have you ever noticed that puppies don't stay puppies? Have you ever said, if, if puppies would just stay puppies? Or if, if kittens would just, if they would just remain kittens? But the problem is, they don't do that, do they? No, they don't. They grow up and they chew all the bark off your tree and kill your trees. That's why I planted a new tree. Because those three dogs literally chewed all the bark from the ground three foot up. Made it one summer, but just, didn't, just couldn't do it this summer. So I have this 15-foot cypress tree that just died. Why? Because my, my dogs aren't puppies any longer. Now, if we could have it our way, there would be no big dogs running around. All dogs would be puppies, and all cats would be kittens. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Because growth is a part of life. And growth means there is change that takes place. 
And you weren't born again in Christ so that you could stay a little baby. I mean, aren't babies cute? I mean, don't you just love them when they get to that? They're, they're in between that where they don't cry and fuss and, and they're starting to get rebellious. Where they just, they just lay there and they coo and they, you know, and, and, and they finally sleep most of the night or all night. They're in that really just that perfect state where you can just hold them and enjoy them. But they don't stay there. They start walking. And next thing you know, you know, they're pulling things off your table. And they're eating everything they can put in their mouth. So you have to watch them constantly. It's part of life, isn't it? Change happens. Why? Because God created us to grow, to mature. He, God created puppies to become dogs. And he created kittens to become cats. And he created babies to become mature men and women. Why? So that the cycle of life will go on. You are born again, not so that you could stay in a state of spiritual infancy. You are born again so that you could, let me read it to you because the Bible says it a whole lot better than I can say it. Ephesians chapter 4. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Now, that in the trickery of men, you know who is the man who tricks you more than any other man does? Point to yourself. You are the man who tricks you more than any other man does. We deceive ourselves. You know why we deceive ourselves? Because in a sense, we're trying to figure out how we can keep puppies puppies and kittens kittens. We, we just, we don't want to grow up oftentimes. You guys ever known anyone that you graduated from high school with and you go back home like five years after you graduate from high school and the guy you graduate from high school, he's still running around with the high school kids. But he's like five years out of high school. He's like, dude, what are you doing? He's, he's idolizing. I mean, he doesn't want to grow up. He's changing. He's just denying and resisting the inevitable. Change is happening all around us. Are we going to deny and resist the inevitable? God is calling us to grow up in Him, into Christ. So Paul goes on. He says, by the trigger of men, by the deceitful craftiness of, of cunning, of deceitful plotting, Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love that we may no longer be children, verse 14, but that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Do you know we are the body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies? See, we are not called to do this thing in isolation. We are not islands unto ourselves. We are not men and women out there doing our own thing with God. That is false doctrine. We are called to be a body of people. The Bible says we are knit and joined together by what every joint supplies. Look at this according to the effective working by which every 
part does its share. Aren't you glad that your body is joined and knit together and everything is supplying what it needs to be supplied? If you've ever been disjointed or you've had a part of your body disconnected, you know that that is not a good thing. By the effective working by which every part does its share causes what? Growth of the body for the edifying, the building up of itself in love. Discipleship is all about change. It is all about growing. It is all about maturing. Now here's the good news. It's not all your responsibility to make that happen. Let's go back to John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine and you are the branches and my Father is the vine dresser. So if you don't have a fruit tree, you can imagine a fruit tree, right? Or a grapevine. You know what a vine and a branch is or a trunk and a branch? There is a work taking place in the branch, right? But it's not really the branch that's doing the work. That's causing the fruit to come, but yet there is a work taking place in that branch. What is that branch doing? That branch is abiding. Are you abiding in Christ? Now you might say, yeah, brother, I'm saved. 27 years ago, 15 years ago, two months ago, I said the prayer and God saved me. Okay, I know technically you did that. But I'm asking you, are you abiding in Him? Do you see yourself, do you know that you know that you know in your heart of hearts that you are joined to Him? And you're not producing fruit and you're not changing yourself, but it is the life that flows from the root, the true root, the true vine. That life that flows through you that is causing a transformation to take place. Brothers, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, no longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. What is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God? Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. How do we prove Christ in us? Jesus says, when the world sees love come out of you, they're going to know you're my disciples. How do you know? That's an apple tree. Just looks like some dead tree to me. Well, when springtime comes and the blooms come on and the blooms turn into fruit, you're going to know it's an apple tree. Why? You're going to know it by the fruit. How does the world know we are Christian? Jesus said they're going to know by the fruit. What does a tree have to do in order to produce fruit? Anybody know? It has to grow. And it has to come to a measure of maturity. And the more it grows, and the more mature it comes, guess what? 
there is going to be more of, evident. There will be more fruit. So growth doesn't happen without change, and growth is necessary for life. Therefore, change, listen to me, church, change is necessary for life. And anything void of change, there's a good chance it's void of life. You know why the landscape on the moon basically stays the same? (laughs) There ain't no life up there. The truth, truth is past, truth is present, and truth is future. Truth is eternal. Truth does not change. But we must be committed and we must be willing to allow truth to change us. Amen? Amen. If we resist the truth, we can resist, we can deny we can try to stay in a static state. And I'm going to tell you what. God has a way. And He is moving and He is working right now. And He's working the same way the frog is boiling. And we need to have eyes to be able to see that. And our hope needs to be in the, the, the sure promise that God is working. In you, around you, in His church. And we need to be men and women of God that will allow ourselves to be changed by the truth. To embrace that. That we would grow and mature and bear fruit and be known as His disciples. If we persist in living in the past, looking to the way things used to be, guess what's not going to happen? You won't change. Not willingly anyways. In a lot of ways, this is what the church is doing. In a lot of ways, this is what we do in our relationships. This is what we do in our personal lives. This is what we do everywhere, on the job, in our homes, in our nation. Well, we can't cut that program because, well, FDR put that in place. Well, well, we can't do that because then, and it all becomes about what we can't do because... Because I idolize my spot. Because I idolize my old shoes. Because I idolize everything that's behind me. And I'm not looking ahead to what the things behind are robbing me of. See, that's the problem with our nation. We're so idolizing what's behind us. What we can't let go of. What we can't see is that we're fixing to drive straight off a cliff and crash and burn. Now here's something you guys might not have thought about. It may just be the grace and the mercy of God that lets us drive off the cliff and crash and burn. Because that might be the only way that we're going to let go of the things that are bringing about our destruction. And if God allows us to crash and burn nationally, or if God allows you to crash and burn personally, do you have enough faith in God that He knows how to bring recreation, restoration, and renewal? I mean, He created everything around us out of nothing. Don't you think he knows how to fix up your crash? Don't you think he knows how to heal our nation? Don't you think he knows how to heal your life? Do you trust him enough to look to him and believe that he will do it? But somewhere along the way, you're going to have to say, Okay, God, I relinquish. 
And if we're not willing to change, to grow, to be challenged, then we will at the very least, listen church, we will at the very least become irrelevant. Or at the worst, we will forsake our future. And both of those are unacceptable. But I have great hope. If for no other reason, and this is really enough, if I don't know any other scripture, if I don't know any other promise Jesus has made, I know this one. And this is what gives me hope. And this is why I have great confidence. Because Jesus stood in that day and he said to his disciples, and in saying it to them, he has said it to all of us, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He will build his church. Whether we resist him or not, he will build his church. And the church isn't just about what happens in this metal building right here or others like it, bigger or smaller, all over the landscape. When he said, I will build my church, it has to do with every area of your life. At every moment of your life, wherever you happen to be doing whatever you happen to be, because you do not stop being the church just because you walk out of those doors. You are the church. And he's not just talking about building congregations of thousands of people. So we can say, hey, look how big our church is. Now, that's not what he's interested in. That's what we're interested in, but that's not what he's interested in. He's interested in building you because you are the church. But you need to understand that as God builds you, he didn't call you to be built alone into yourself. He called you to be built together as a body, as a community. And our head... And our identity is not us. It's not our denomination. It's not the name that's on our building. Our head, our identity is Christ. And we are known by Christ. And we are known in Christ. And if we begin to understand that and get a revelation of that truth, it becomes very difficult for us to pull apart and to divide and be disunified. And as our head leads us, it also becomes very difficult to long for the onions and the meat pots back in Egypt. And we will gladly shake off and forget that which is behind if God says so, and we will move with Him. And I challenge you to do that at every level of your life, personally, Corporately, in your home, out of your home, in this church, in other church, wherever that you do that, at your workplace, that we would be disciples and we would not fear change, but we would embrace it. Amen. Not out of fear and obligation, but in love. And love for the one who loved us first. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Discipleship is about change. You cannot change apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't change through the, the will of the flesh. 
All God wants to do with your flesh is crucify it. and He wants to raise you up in the life and the power of His Spirit. It really seems like a paradox. It seems like a contradiction of terms, but the, the way that you're going to change the quickest, the way that you're going to change and be transformed in the most obvious way is to the degree that you will surrender and die. And stop trying out of your own power and surrender and submit your will to God. And when you do that, if you're courageous enough to do that, that's going to mean there's some things that are going to change in your lives. There's some relationships that are going to change. There's some situations that are going to change. There's sin that, that you're dabbling with and living in that God is going to challenge you to let go of. But if you're going to be His disciple more than just confessing it with your mouth, but if you want to be His disciple indeed, if we're going to be the church indeed, we're going to have to put our money where our mouth is. We can't just say it in words. We're called and we're commanded in word and in deed. Amen? Father, we ask You today that You would, by Your Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Lord, I pray today that we would all, myself included, be challenged, God, to surrender to you, to look to you, to allow you to begin to open our eyes. Lord, we are all blind in so many ways, and I pray, Father God, that you would open our blind eyes, that you would break our cold hearts. That, we, Lord, we wouldn't just in pride hold on to the areas that, that we may be victorious in and, and to the denying and the justification of others that we're not. Father, I pray that we would lay all before you, that we would just come naked before you, open before you, knowing that you love us, God, and that your intent is not for our evil, it's for our good. Because you're a good God. And you really, truly love us. Father, reveal those areas of our life by your Spirit. Teach us, Lord, that we can't just change those out of our own power in our own flesh. But Lord, we can only do that as we see ourselves, reckon ourselves dead to sin. Because we've been crucified with Christ. But alive to God because we've been raised in the power of His life with the power of His Spirit. You are now our life, Lord Jesus, and there is no other. Help us, Lord, to see that. Not with natural eyes, but with spiritual eyes. Open the eyes of our understanding, God. We pray that You would give us a revelation by the Spirit. Help us, Lord. Help us to know Your perfect love for us, Your complete love for us. That it would take away, cast away all the fear that we have in our life. And out of your perfect love for us, God, we would love in return. And we would, out of that love, God, trust you. And trust the ways and the paths that you have for us, that you've already prepared for us. As individuals, as families, as a church. We ask you to do this, Lord.
for your glory. And that in doing it, Lord, we would find our greatest joy, our greatest joy in your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Before you leave, before you leave, if you're here and you want prayer, you know, a lot of times I pray the prayer of dismissal, I dismiss and everyone leaves. If you would like prayer for anything, please take the time to come and let's pray. Whether it's healing in your body, whether you've got a situation going on personally, if you want prayer, we want to pray with you and we will take as much time as you would like for us to pray and minister to you. Amen? God bless you. Have a great afternoon, and we'll see you Wednesday, 7 o'clock. Come prepared to pray with us. Amen. Be in prayer and seek the Lord and and come ready to partake and to um, offer your prayers.